0: As you're being seated, let me let me just say to you, um, so through the season of Advent, you might want to stop those kiddos. Uh, Through the season of Advent and into the season of Christmas, uh, we will not have kids worship. And that began last Sunday. And by that, I mean Children's Church. And we do that for uh, a number of reasons, but let me encourage you to this. So um, if you're a kiddo that would be going to kids worship to Children's Church, let me encourage you to dial in this morning and you listen very, very intently. So grab your coloring box or a pen or a paper or one of the cards in the seat in front of you and and you listen and doodle or draw, if that's what you need to do. But listen intently. And then for the for the parent that has the three, four, five year old or so beside you, let me encourage you to worship distracted this morning. I heard that phrase recently, and it struck me at a really deep place. And so, you this morning do the same thing that I've just encouraged your son or daughter or sons and daughters to do. And you dial in and listen intently. And it's okay if you ignore the questions. Mommy, mommy, what is your favorite dog? Uh, God's word will prevail and he will address his people this morning. And so, I would encourage you to calm down. It's going to be okay. Okay? You know that God created this world and He created it very good. And He created it beautiful and full of life. Full of life. And He made us, you and I. He made human beings and He made us as the high point of His creation. We are higher than the animal or the tree or the ocean or the flower. He created us as the high point of His entire remarkable creation. And He gave us this ability and the responsibility to steward His creation. To draw out of it, not just to manage it, but to draw out of it all of its latent potential. I I use the example often, but someone looked at an oak tree or whatever tree that they make Louisville Sluggers from... And they looked at it, and they drew out of the potential of that tree a Louisville slugger. So God put us in a place and gave us enormous responsibility to steward and to draw out of his creation all of its mind-boggling potential. He also gave us the responsibility to care for this world, to develop it, to love one another, to love ourselves, And to love and to walk with Him as your Creator. But somehow, somewhere, at some point, we rebelled against God and everything was shattered. I know we have an account of that in Genesis 3, but everything was shattered. Everything was fractured. Everything was broken. Not just you, but everything was broken. How you relate to yourself, you're no longer fully human, you're broken. How you relate to others. We don't love people, others, as we do ourselves naturally. We have to be commanded in that way. And how we relate to God. All of that was shattered. And when, when we did this, two parasites moved in. Two imposters, if you will. Death and evil moved in to creation. And as you read the Bible, as you read this story, this tragic tale is told with remarkable skill. This unfolding of death and evil moving in. It's told here in the Bible. And I often refer to Genesis chapter 12. In fact, I did last Sunday, the beginning of Advent. And in Genesis 12, we see how God, he, He takes a fancy for no real apparent reason. For this old man and his barren wife. And... He decided to turn them into this community, this flourishing, fruitful community that he would, he would, God would use and he would use to sh- for them to show others what it looks like, what the difference is when God is a part of your life. And through them, he was going to rescue a people. God said about in and through this couple, to deal with death and evil. And it unfolds in the rest of the Bible. God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah and to their offspring, and He said no matter what happened, He would be radically committed to them and His plan to make all things new. God is about that. You know, He's making all things brand new. And He made that promise to whole Abraham and Sarah. Today is the second Sunday of Advent, and from from that point, we've jumped forward nearly 1,500 years in the story of God's work in and through Abraham and Sarah. And we began in Isaiah last week, and, and by the time of Isaiah, and it's where we'll be again this morning, we'll actually be in Isaiah 40. But by the time of Isaiah, by the time of this story, Abraham's family, the people of Israel, the Jews, for centuries they've been resisting God. They've been refusing to walk in his way. For centuries, they've been acting like the person. Who is having an affair. But wants it both ways, they want the external picture of the marriage, but they want the extra lover. They want to keep the relationship going as long as they can, and so instead of leaving the lover or the spouse they keep them on a string and they go as long as they can and this is ultimately what Israel had been doing with God they've been toying with God they wanted it both ways their way and God's way and like a woman who is finally tired of her husband's philandering God he if you will he takes out this marriage certificate and he tears it up if you would read in the book of Hosea and and Because morally, it's what the people had already done and the relationship was dead. So God leaves Israel to the consequences of their sin. He gives them over to that. And what this looks like on a political and national level, historically, in the year 587 B.C., the Babylonian army conquers. Conquers the capital city, they level it. It is utter devastation. Their king, he flees like most kings do when their people are being conquered. He runs away and they chase him down and they kill his sons first and they kill him. And then they, they go back and they haul off thousands, not everyone, but thousands upon thousands of the inhabitants of the, of the land. And they take them to their own capital city and they hold them as captives. See, Israel had risked everything in their relationship with God for the sake of their own lover. And when they find themselves thrown out, they discover that among all the other lovers, there were none to comfort them. So here we are in Isaiah 40. It's our passage for this morning. We'll read it short in a few short moments, but we're going to be in Isaiah 41 to 11 and it Israel is utterly devastated. They, they, their land has been destroyed. They've been they've been taken captive. And we are about fifty years past that moment in history when we read this this morning. And Jerusalem is a wasteland. These people are hopeless. If you, if you want to know really what's going on in their hearts, read the book of Lamentation. The title gives it away. It's, it's not real cheery. And they write this book, and they're lamenting over all that's happened. It's like if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia. There's this scene in the Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe where Tumnus, you know Tumnus? He's this odd-looking character. And he says, he says, To the children in Narnia, for nearly a hundred years, it's always been winter, never Christmas. Always winter, never Christmas. Some of you know the line. But what about you? Have you forgotten how to hope? Are you tired of the pain? Are you suffering? Has it been so long that it's too long? That it feels like what Tumnus is saying to these children, it's always winter, but it's never Christmas. Turn to Isaiah 40 with me. Let me read verses 1 through 11. And we would ask the Lord to speak to us from his word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a A highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says cry. And gently lead those that are with young. And so this morning, I would say that God speaks to us in our own preparation for Christmas. The season of Christmas, which begins on the sundown of Christmas Eve and goes for 12 days. As we prepare in this season of Advent to celebrate the birth of Christ and God's great work in this world, in our own preparation. Let us hear hope for those who have forgotten how to hope. For the next few minutes, as we listen to God's address through this truly remarkable portion of Scripture, I I think it will help us to organize our listening around five, five, Ways that God is comforting Israel. I don't always have a neat and tidy outline. So for those of you that are frustrated by that. This is a gift. And you're welcome. Five ways. Five ways. You know you're out there because you're shaking your head. That I think. I see here that God is helping us. Learn to remember. How to hope. Number one. First of all, Israel is being reminded in her hopelessness of the reality of God. That God is real. The first piece of news for the shattered Israelites, they are devastated. They are hopeless. And this first piece of news in this passage is the reminder that God is there. He's, he's saying to his people, we're not playing games here. God is Real. You would forget that, wouldn't you? Haven't you? 50 years of a national catastrophe. No one in this room has lived through. I I thought through everyone that I could imagine being here this morning. No one in this room that I am aware of has lived through 50 years of a national catastrophic event. 20 years, maybe. Two months, definitely. Two weeks. Of this particular passage, John Goldingay, he, he comments on this portion. Listen to what he says here. God is not a figment of our imagination. The God of whom Isaiah of Babylon spoke was the independent, tumultuous, tumultuous unpredictable, awesome, caring, active, alive, lively, speaking, loyal, consistent, secure, humorous God of Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Miriam, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Deborah, Hannah, Samuel, Saul, David, real people, a real God has been at work in real history. This God exists. I love that. I love that. And we live in a moment in time when it is Really hard to believe. I'm looking out, and I know that for some of you, faith has come very, very easy, but I'm also looking out at it some where I am painfully aware of the fact that it is very difficult for you to believe. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of a worship service singing a song like The Great I Am? It's not in my notes. But where you're standing and singing a song, the great I am, and you think to yourself, what am I doing here? Is this real? Is this real? Have we, are we playing charades here? Have we found some way to prop up, right, the the reinforced middle class stability? Are, Are we in the middle of some game here? Now, maybe you would never say that to your friends because they would look at you the way you're looking at me. But you ever have you ever thought that? Like, what am I doing? Isaiah is reminding God's people of the reality of God. On the one hand, these people are living in a very different world than ours. There were their world was full of many gods. So it wasn't really a question of whether or not you believed in God, but which one? Polytheism. Um, and the Jewish people. They're finding it hard to believe in Yahweh, the God revealed in the scriptures, the God that we're preaching about this morning, the God that we've sung about, the God that we're heralding the news of this morning. I I, I don't believe that for, for many of us, if any of us, the question is which God, but rather is there a God? Is he real? I say those things, I sing those things, but in the privacy of my own heart, I don't know if it's real. Isaiah is reminding them of the facts about God that tended to get overlooked by the experience of their exile. They had been suffering for so long, they had forgotten how to hope. They're reminded of here, of who God is, and they are invited once more to stake their lives on the reality of God. If you are suffering, if you are suffering, be it physical, be it mental, be it, be it of your own choosing or of God alone. And we'll speak to those in a minute. Whatever the case, if you are suffering, you can stake your life on the reality that God is real. He. He. Is there. You can bet your life on God. He does exist. Believe in him in the face of whatever shakiness your world is in right now. You believe in him in the middle of that. Doubt is not unbelief. Unbelief is unbelief. You can believe in the face of your doubts. And I am urging and pleading with you this morning, if you've forgotten how to hope, you remember like God would say to the people of Isaiah in Isaiah's day, he would say to us, stake your life on the reality of God. The second way that we can remember this morning, let's listen again to Isaiah 40 verses one and two comfort, comfort. My people says, Your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her welfare is warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. My people, your God. We read those and they may sound like obvious, even trite words that we would read and pass over, but they are not. For centuries, we said earlier that Israel's relationship with God has been under huge threat. They have been philandering. They have been wayward, rebelling against God. And the relationship is under huge threat, under all kinds of strain. And sometimes that was for reasons that did not really seem to have anything to do with Israel. But not this time. What these People are going through, they all knew that it was entirely their fault. They had failed God, they had sinned against God, they had offended him, and here is God speaking into their circumstance, and he says this it's over. It's over. I am still your father. I I have thought all week, not leading up to this week or last week. But I've thought all week, from last Sunday to this, about the incredible privilege that I have, the incredible privilege I have to cry out to God as my Father. It is an amazing it has overwhelmed me at moments this week when I was thinking about preparation and repentance and getting my heart right, the fact that I, as a broken, a broken man, That I have the incredible privilege of crying out to God as my father. It's a remarkable thing. And here God is speaking into their circumstance and he's saying it's over. I am still your father. Our relationship still exists. God is saying, I still love you. The moment for mercy has arrived. Mercy is a good word. It's a very good word. And God is saying to these people right here, the moment for mercy has arrived. God knows when enough is enough. You ever you ever you remember thinking that as a child, you didn't think your parents knew when enough was enough and the discipline was coming and they didn't know where to when to give up. And don't believe that about God, because it's not true. God knows when enough is enough and he knows when mercy needs and should come. Come. The term has been served. The penalty has been paid and the sins have been completely punished. You can bet your life not only on the reality of God, but on the reality of your relationship with him. Now, some of you do not have a relationship with him. When you are hopeless, if you are a child of God, you need to remember that. Remember his love for you. Remember that he is. Is your father. Turn to him. Call out to him like a child does to their father. We have some people in this room that are incorrect. Their schedules are incredibly full. Very demanding. Most people have to make an appointment to see you. But not your child. Not your child. They call out. To their father. Depend on that relationship. The third way to hope again, let's look at verses three to five. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert. A highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God is calling Israel here to prepare. We touched on this last week. We can't we can't overlook it here this morning. Israel's judgment and defeat are signs of God's clearing away the brush and the dry rot that had kept them from God. So what about you this morning? Can you see something like this in your life that God is trying to clear out? He's trying to clear out the brush, the dry rot. He's trying to make way in your life. Are you sitting in the consequences of your sin? Can you see how those consequences are ways in which God is working to clear things that you've given yourself to? Things that keep God at a distance. What we see here in Isaiah 40 verses 3 to 5 is that in seasons of hopelessness, we have to remember to repent. We said it last week, but we, we can't skip it here. We have to prepare the way of the Lord. Christopher cites, he says of this passage of Scripture, he says, In every age, only faithfulness to this command can make room for God's dramatic victory and entrance into the desert of our lives. I love that. I'm very aware that there are seasons in our lives, yours and mine, Of despair that are not of our own making. There are people in this room that I believe are suffering for no sin of their own. There is a place for that in spiritual formation. I believe that. But before, before you are convinced, before you're convinced that the discipline that your dad is giving you. Before you're convinced that the discipline that he's giving you, you don't deserve. Shouldn't you humbly, shouldn't you humbly consider if you do deserve it? I'm not saying that we always do. I'm saying we should consider if we do. And if you discover that you deserve the discipline that the Lord would have for you. Repent repent. So for this season of Advent, would you prepare, would you prepare to receive Christ more deeply than ever before? We, we can't believe that we have all of him, can we? We can't believe that somehow you or I have reached this place where we are all it, right? We have it together, the real deal, fully human, legit, however you would say it. So in the season of Advent, we no doubt we should all year long, but in the season of Advent, would you prepare to receive Christ more deeply, more fully? For some in this room, repentance will come for the very first time. You need to repent and you need to receive Christ as both Lord and Savior. For some, it is this journey of Israel and it's a reuniting and there are things in your life, there is brush and there is dry rot in your life that have distanced you from God. Whatever it, whatever it looks like, whatever shape it takes, whatever form it's in has distanced you from God. For So repentance for you comes in that light. You can stake your life on God's responsiveness to repentance. The fourth way to hope again is in verses six and verse Seven, look with me, if you will, verse six and seven, a voice, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever forever. So the prophet, he looks at all of this desolation in the life of Israel, this hopelessness that they are in. And says, these people, I I read it that way to so there's this voice we don't know if it's God's voice or an angel's voice. No doubt it's a heavenly voice and says, cry out, cry out to God. And 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 he says, there's this response. What should we cry We're hopeless. We have no hope. We're devastated. We're in ruin. We're in desolation. There's what do we say? They are shattered, there's nothing left. Have you ever been there? I mean, are you there today? Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not there. And so maybe this is not for you in the moment. But are you or have you been in a place where you are utterly shattered? Have you been completely done? It's always winter and it's never Christmas and you've suffered so long that it's now too long. This prophet Isaiah. I think it's a we can argue about how you translate it. We could talk about that later. I don't want to get into it here this morning, but I. I do believe that this voice is saying, cry out, and this prophet is saying in response, how do we cry out? But then in verse 8, in verse 8, it turns because this prophet has forgotten one thing. He's forgotten about the difference it makes when God declares his intention to do something. When God speaks, things happen. In verse 8, he says this The grass withers. You're right. The flower fades, you're right, but the word of our God will stand forever. Alex Moyer says this of this passage, in contrast to our fickleness, our failures, our fading, in contrast to the devastation we experience through God's judgment, there is a sure and unchanging reality. The word of our God, which stands forever. You can stake your life on God's word The fourth way to remember to hope is that you can stake your life on the assurance of God's word. How can we be so sure that we have a future and a hope? We can be sure because God's word is true. God said it, whether you believe it or not, does not matter. God said it and that settles it. When you are hopeless, let me encourage you this morning. If you are in despair, if you are suffering and it feels like you are in winter and it is never Christmas. If you have suffered long enough from a physical, from a mental, from depression, from a wayward child, you've prayed something so long you've lost hope in how you pray, whatever it is. Let me encourage you this morning when you are hopeless, learn to read the Bible. And have the courage to believe it. It takes courage to believe it. Because you will be an odd duckling for believing it. And staking your life on it. Have the courage to learn to read the Bible. Have the courage to believe it. You can stake your life on the assurance, the surety rather, of God's word. For the fifth way to hope, let's look at verses 9 through 11. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his Recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The messenger says this to Israel, and he, God speaks it to us. This is a beautiful vision here. This is a very beautiful piece of scripture. I love here that you have this gathering and you have this protecting, you have caring power and you have compassion. I love the imagery here. Look at verse 10. You have the ruling arm and it's the carrying arm in verse 11. In verse 10, you have the strong one in verse 11. It's the shepherd. So there is this combination of this triumph and yet tender compassion. And sure enough, you can look it up in the history books. And sure enough, in early October 539 B.C., the armies of the Persian Empire conquer Babylon. And then on October 29th, 539 B.C., Cyrus, the king of Persia, he enters Babylon and he releases the captives with no battle. They ride in as a king of peace and he releases the captives. They return home and they eventually rebuild Jerusalem. God's word is sure. Everything that he tells us here happened. Everything that we've read this morning has happened. And then some 500 years later there's this man who's called John the Baptist and he picks up this same message. And you can read it in Mark chapter 1 verses 1 to 8 or so. And he says you you thought last time he doesn't I'm paraphrasing here. He says you just thought last time was cool. Just wait Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of our world. It's the same message that God had said to his people that were in captivity through the prophet Isaiah, and he speaks to us in the same way today through his son, Jesus Christ. So in our own exile and failure and suffering, you know, that moment where It seems like the only realities are the sad ones. Have you ever felt that way? Where the only realities that you feel like you can know and remember are the sad ones. And they overwhelm us. We lose sight of the fact that God and his purposes are the ultimate realities. These are the times. It is in those moments that we need to remember. We need to remember God. You need to remember that God is real. He really exists. He really exists in a way that that affected people in real history, real people, in real time. God really exists. You need to remember your relationship with God. Some of you are not in relationship with God. But for his children, you need to remember, if you can remember nothing else, that he is your father and you are his child. And he delights. He delights. In the cries of his children. So we remember that God is real. We remember that our relationship with God. We remember repentance. When we discover when we discover that we need we need God to discipline us, to take care of the dry rot, to take care of the underbrush that is distancing us from him. We receive that with a glad heart and we remember to repent. And we remember. We remember the surety of his word. That you can stake your life on the fact that God's word is sure. Learn to read the Bible. It is cumbersome at times. It is complex. And there's no way to begin but to jump in. We can talk about how do I systematically do this? Or have I exegetically done that? Or are we expositionally doing this? But the reality is you need to pick up God's word and you need to open it. You need to learn to read it and you need to take courage and believe what it says. The promises of God are sure. And then we'll talk about whether you're interpreting it right and all those other kind of things. Pick it up and read it. If you don't have a Bible, take one from the seat in front of you. If there's one, take it home. That is our gift to you stay in a hotel take one out of the drawer and take it home that's a gift to you they're free if it only has the new testament throw it away and we'll get you a real bible i listen i know that this is hard There have been real seasons, real seasons of life for me and for others that I know very well. Where it feels like it's always winter and it's never Christmas, and it is very hard to believe. I know that this is hard. I know it's difficult. We are waiting on the day when God will complete this work. We are waiting on the day. I know it's hard, but it is not impossible to believe. And so I'm saying to you this morning. We base the confidence. We base our confidence that there is a final purpose to this world, a true end to suffering, a true end of winter and a forever Christmas where we will be with him. And we, our battle here is to stake our lives on the reality of God. Our battle here is to stake our lives on the reality of our relationship with God. If you are not in relationship with God, then you need to bow knee and repent of your offense to God and receive the gift of salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ. Believe by faith what we sang about, that He stood in your place on the cross. A brutal and painful death shed blood for you. Some of you have heard that so many times. As soon as I start to say that, you close me off. And you need to repent of that. Because there are people in this room that have never heard that. And for the first time, you need to bow your knee and receive the gift of salvation. That is a way to hope. Because outside of Christ, you have no hope. And so in your repentance... You are banking on the assurance of repentance. We have to stake our lives on the fruitfulness of that preparation of repentance. We stake our lives on the surety of God's word. And we stake it on the mighty, on the mighty reality of jesus christ let's pray father for those in this room that walked in in the throes of winter oh how i pray that you have spoken by your word and they have remembered how to hope Father, for those that came into this room hopeless because of their lostness, their blindness, their heart of stone. I pray, Lord, that by your word you have spoken to them and that they have believed in your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray all of these things for the glory of your son in whom we stake our lives on the reality of Jesus Christ. Amen.